Do you ever have a hard time deciding who's right and who's wrong? Do you ever have talks in your house or arguments about who's right or who's wrong? What about online? Okay, Alan, Alan says my wife is right, but sometimes isn't it, <laughs> isn't it really difficult sometimes to like try to figure out who's right and who's wrong because don't all of us think that we're right? I mean, we wouldn't have that opinion if we didn't think so. And, and what about those people who think that we're wrong? Like, this can be a really vexing problem, like trying to discern what's, what's right, who's right, who's wrong. Uh, I know that that happens in families, workplaces, all over the place, these different discussions, dialogues about rightness. And uh, there's this term, so we're not going to use a lot of these, so don't, don't be intimidated, but the word is orthodoxy. And <laughs> there's different ways that people have described it. And one of the, one of the ways that people de- define what orthodoxy is sometimes is right beliefs or correct beliefs. So this idea of rightness. And we talk about what, is, what are the correct beliefs within Christianity? What is orthodox? And as we, as we wrestle with like what is right and, and all of that, we want to acknowledge that we all have that desire to be right. And I think Jesus speaks into that in a really interesting way on the Sermon on the Mount. So a lot of this, this winter and spring, we're, we're going to do this series where we're looking in depth into Jesus's most well-known set of teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's located in uh, Matthew, the, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, as it was the longest sermon that he gave us, and it's just filled with all this incredible desire. So today we're going to start in Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, so that may be a little confusing as we start out there, uh, but but we're going to stop for just a second and go to the ending of of the Sermon on the Mount. And the, the Sermon on the Mount ends with this illustration that Jesus uses about two men who build a house. One house is built on a firm foundation of a rock, the other on sand. And storms come in, and the the house built on sand gets destroyed. The house built on the rock survives it. It it withstands the the onslaught. And Jesus indicated that the the one that stood was built by a guy who was wise. And he said whoever whoever did, whoever practiced his teachings was like that on a firm foundation. And the foolish man was the one who didn't. And so we, as we wrestle with what that means, Jesus taught that there is a way to live life that can prepare us for the different storms of life that will give us a chance to withstand some of those storms. Um, so at, as it ends again, we're going to listen to the words that his brother spoke. So Jesus had this brother James 
And he said this in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now it's interesting here because Jesus, when, when, he was, when he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount, at the end it was the wise man was the one who did what he said. It wasn't necessarily about right beliefs. It was about the right actions. And James, his brother, seemed to pick up on this too and said, don't just listen, don't just hear it. Like it, it, if it goes in one ear and out the other, it, it's, you're deceiving yourselves. So there's this idea that, you know, if we strive for orthodoxy, all these right beliefs, but it doesn't change how we live or doesn't impact that, that's a big problem. So again, just really quickly, we're going to switch over to a theological word. I apologize, but it's orthopraxy. And praxy, as you can hear, is like practice, right? So this is right practice or, or doing some of the right things, doing, doing correct things is this idea that it is emphasized by Jesus, like how we live, what we do, how we respond. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, shall we? Matthew 5.20, what Jesus says next, and this I think is where it's getting really interesting. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you think of when you hear Pharisee, when you hear that word? Go ahead and shout it out if you're comfortable doing that. Hypocrite. Okay, good. Scholar. Bad guy. Liar. So it seems, if, if you've ever read through the Gospels, that Jesus had almost like a bad guy, a rival, a nemesis. And, and we would say that the Pharisees were the ones who were always, they always just seemed to be getting into it. So when we hear Pharisee in the church, excuse me, <clears throat> our natural thought is these guys are the ones who are the enemies of Jesus. These guys are legalistic. They fought against Jesus. They helped get him killed. So like we just have, they have that baggage for us. Um, but back in this day, when Jesus was in this culture, the Pharisees were actually the people who had a really good reputation. They were known as the ones who did, who, who studied the scriptures diligently. They studied the Hebrew scriptures. They knew them. They memorized them. And they were known for their moral practices. So they were in Jesus's world respected by so many people. They, they might be like good church people is maybe what some people would think of them as. Uh, so when you think about this and their level of righteousness, how do you surpass that? Somebody who believes all the right things because they've spent their time studying the scriptures. I mean, not many of us have memorized entire books of the Bible. And these guys did it. And that was seemed like a high level of righteousness the ways that they avoided sin or what they thought of as sin, they were commendable in that. And that was their reputation. So what does Jesus mean to surpass their level of righteousness? Uh, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, we're going to flip over to Luke. Luke tells this really fascinating parable in Luke 18.10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I, I give. Now, how do you surpass that level of righteousness? I mean, think about what this guy's doing. So if you don't know what fast is, it's giving usually food up, but giving something up for a period of time. So he fasts three days a week. Do you, or do you fast three days a week, four days a week? Like, how do you surpass that level? He gives a tenth of all that he has. Uh, for those of you who, who don't, like, know the term tithing, tithing is the idea of giving 10% of your income to God. Um, and that's something that they did. And I just want to pause here, even though we're criticizing the Pharisees, to say, like, if that's your practice, thank you. Uh, if you if you give to the church, we really appreciate giving. We appreciate your your trust and and giving to God there. So uh, we're not criticizing tithing as a bad thing, but I do want to say thank you to to you who give. We don't have we don't talk about money a whole lot. We just are pretty uh, trusting with money and all that. But thank you to givers. But how would you surpass that level? Is Jesus saying you got to give fifteen percent of your money away? Like, what, what is the key to that? So moving on, after the Pharisee does this, and probably Jesus' audience is pretty impressed with this resume. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now there's one thing I think that's obvious that was good about this tax collector to some people is that this tax collector had self-awareness, didn't he? Like, he knew he needed mercy. He knew he was unworthy. Like, he, he got it. Tax collectors had a terrible reputation in this day. They were the ones who swindled. They, they sided with the foreign-occupying Roman government. They overcharged people who were really suffering so that they could get rich while they were loyal to Rome and the people were bleeding because of their, their treachery. Their, their lack of loyalty and their greed. So he has, he has some self-awareness here. We can say this. So how, how do you surpass the level of righteousness? Well, again, we've, a lot of us have heard the story. We know what's coming. But for Jesus' original audience, there would have been a huge twist at the end. Let's go to the twist in 1814. I tell you that this man, the tax collector... Rather than the other, the Pharisee went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that would have been completely shocking for the people listening to Jesus' parable. Now, again, it's not for a lot of us who've been in church, we've heard this like a, a million times, so it's not surprising. But in the original, how, how, do, you, how do you justify this? I mean, we don't think that the tax collector was orthodox. And he probably didn't have all the right beliefs. He clearly didn't practice all the right things. How was it here that this Pharisee who's trying to do so many good things is the one who goes home and is not justified before God? It's shocking. So let's uh, move on. What, what was it? Like, how do, how do you beat the Pharisees? What about their practices? Let's look at Matthew 23. 23. Last week we started, or a couple weeks ago, we started looking at some of Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees. Here's another one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now again, Jesus is saying that what they're doing is not bad. It's not bad that they're tithing. It's just that they don't get the point of it. It's not about their reputations. It's not about what other people think of them and that they're attaining a certain level so that they can look down on other people. But it's different than that. Their practice is completely empty. The reason to give is to remind us to trust in God. It's to be merciful. People who learn how to be merciful. But they neglected that. They neglected mercy and justice, what everything is pointing towards. They didn't get it. Now, again, as as we we wrestle with this, it's easy just to dismiss the Pharisees as those bad guys who are always against Jesus and were never like the Pharisees. But I want to look at why Jesus told the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Luke tells us this in 18.9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. This is getting so confusing here. They were confident of their own righteousness, but Jesus says we also have to get to a level that exceeds their level, which doesn't seem to be good enough. Like, what does that mean? Rather than praising their sacrifice, he says that it's not enough. No matter what they did, their sacrifice was never enough. It didn't justify them. It didn't give them the right to look down on other people. And again, this, this is not just a Pharisee problem. This is a people problem. This happens to Pharisees of the past. It happens in churches. It happens in families. It happens at workplaces. But the heart of a Pharisee is a human problem to deal with, not just something that the church defeated when Jesus and the Pharisees went at it. Everybody who follows Jesus never deals with these kind of things where we, we, we try to get to a higher level and look down on everybody else for not getting to the level that we've got to. Now, I'll have to say, like, I've read this parable many times. I love it. It convicts me every time because I, I'm a lot like a Pharisee. I can be really self-righteous and have an attitude where i trying to get to a level that's better than others. But here is the part of, of this parable that hit me this time. It's Luke 18, 11, and I think I had always skipped by this. When Jesus tells about the Pharisee, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself. Now, I don't think that that's that's a description saying the Pharisee was lonely because nobody would hang out with him. I think that that was saying that, like, he, he was thinking that he was on a level that was above. He was in his own circle. His level had surpassed everybody else. He got to this place where he was the best. He stood by himself. You ever had a desire to stand above the rest? No, some of, some of you haven't. God bless you. I have. Maybe because I'm short. I don't know. But man, I know like growing up in, in East Central Illinois in the 90s, watching Michael Jordan be the best. Like, that seemed awesome. This desire to be the champion, the MVP, the one whose level surpasses everybody else, to be honored as the best, the best basketball player. And my mom always used to tell me, and I hope she's right about this, but she said, 
Daniel, I think God made you short so that you wouldn't be tall enough to play basketball and be tempted to go that direction, but so that you would be a pastor. And so uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that, that there's a point in there that God is merciful that God made me short. Because when you have a desire to look down on other people, it's a little bit of an advantage if you're short. Because <laughs> it's going to be hard in basketball or other places where you're not as tall. But it's almost like a message. Do not look down on other people. Do not get to that place where you just want to stand alone above everybody else where they are below you. <clears throat> you want to hear a joke? <laughs> I'm not a good joke teller, but you want to hear one? All right. Um, I think Jesus is kind of telling a joke here when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, because I think he kind of winked, like, if you try to get to a higher level, no, it's not going to work. I think he was telling this joke because the Pharisees got in this trap of thinking they were in this exclusive club where they could look down on a, and they had this circle where they could stand alone and explain what was wrong with everybody else. And the more they tried to be exclusive, the big problem was they ex- excluded somebody really, really important. God, <laughs> that circle just got so excite, uh, so exclusive that they excluded the, the father of everybody. And as a father, if my kids are excluded, I don't want to have anything to do with people who are going to be cruel to my kids. Probably you get that too if you're a parent or even if you're, you, you could imagine what that's like. But, but God was seeing, our Heavenly Father was seeing them exclude so many people that he cared about so much that they just excluded him right out of the the company. There's this old illustration about a guy who comes into church and he's not dressed very well. And it's a church where the people dress well to look their best before God. So this guy comes in, his clothes are not great. He walks in and people are kind of looking at him like, does he not know? Why doesn't he take God seriously? His clothes are off. We need to confront him. So everybody just kind of gives him the the silent treatment until the pastor is finally brave enough to go up there and said, "Uh, at this church, we need you to dress like you, we honor God here. So we need you to to dress like you love God. So I, and and the guy said, okay. And he's like, I, I, the pastor said, I challenge you. Why don't you go home and pray and ask God what you, what he wants you to wear to church? I said, okay. So he did that. The next week, for some reason, he showed up in this church again, but he had the same clothes on. Again, people were horrified. The pastor went up to him and said, "Uh, did you pray and ask God what to wear to church? And the guy said, yes. The pastor said, well, what did he say? He said, well, God didn't know because he's never been to this church either. (laughs) And that's what can happen with Christians who mean so well, but that spirit of the Pharisee can get in and we can try to get to such an exclusive level that we exclude God right out of it when God is telling us to be people who love mercy. Jesus just begged and said, I wish you knew what this meant. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice can be a good thing, but God cares so much more about hearts of mercy. As as the Hebrew prophet said, "What what does the Lord require of you? Act justly. Treat other people with justice. 
Justice and righteousness are very related terms. The word righteousness we use might even be justice. Act justly. Love mercy. If we look down on everybody else, we don't love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. How, how can we walk humbly with God if we're looking down at other people who we think are below us in some way? So Jesus challenged. The way of Jesus was not exclusive to get to this exclusive club, but it was about a humble, merciful, inclusive of the broken people of the world who were broken just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were broken just like you and me and us and the tax collectors. And God has made that circle and he's invited us in to include us in in his mercy. So as this relates to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now, we all need mercy. Sometimes we forget it. But we all need mercy. And, and the only way for us, according to Jesus, is to experience the mercy we so desperately need is to show mercy to others. If we neglect to do that, we just might not access that. So some might be thinking, are you saying, Pastor, that righteousness doesn't matter? Of course, I'm not saying that. But, but the, key, the key issue that Jesus had was not our level of righteousness, but it was his. And kind of the, the hook for the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, the central teaching, in Matthew six thirty three, Jesus says this, But seek first his kingdom. It's so hard to not seek our own kingdom because we're living in our kingdom where we want to build and look down on others or stand alone. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, as in God's. Not our own righteousness, but God's righteousness. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we want you to know that we're so glad that you're here with us. Maybe part of the reason why you're not a Christian is because you've been around other Christians who have shown you anything but mercy. Or you think that the church is the last place you could go to find the mercy that you need. And I want to say, if that's your experience, I'm sorry. And, and I say that not to make excuses, but because just as human beings, we get it wrong. I get it wrong. We get it wrong. We don't get it right so often. But our hope is that even though we don't always get it right, that Jesus did. Because it's about God's righteousness. It's about Jesus. That Jesus did get it right, which makes him Worthy of being followed. So as we close today and the worship team comes up, uh, I just want to encourage the practical step of following Jesus in this teaching here of righteousness levels is to seek to be people who show mercy. Maybe ask God, ask God to show you somebody who you can show merciful for. Maybe somebody you have a hard heart towards, somebody who obviously doesn't deserve it because mercy is undeserved but a way for you to show someone mercy, to be inclusive maybe with someone you don't want to include, to show that, that mercy that God desires so much more than sacrifice. So I want to encourage you to take that step. And as we close out, I just want to invite you to pray together with me the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive.